0: Welcome to the Crispin Commentary, Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Crispin. Topics on today's episode include savings rates, my interview with attorney Robert Maddox on how the mortgage industry learned from the 2008 financial crisis and some reasons it's better positioned in the current environment, and we have a busy economic calendar ahead of Thanksgiving tomorrow. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, Richie May. A recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking. To learn more, visit richiemay.com. A web search turned up a misconception. It appears that Robert Willie Horton, when he was asked why he robbed banks, never said that's where the money is. But banks are where the money is, and it is certainly catchy. You don't think someone is making money off of your money sitting in that bank? Another web search shows that the 1-year CD national average is 0.43%. The current 1-year risk-free treasury bill is yielding 4.75%. How can you get around that spread where the bank earns about 4 and 3 quarters for a year but pays you less than half a percent? My tip of the day would be to go to treasurydirect.gov and see the yields of what you can buy directly from the government and the minimums required. I don't recall anyone predicting when your rates would be near or at 5% by year-end, or per loan cost would be over $11,000 for that matter. Still, there's a lot of planning going on for 2023, and a good portion of that is based on mortgage rates. I'm reminded of this maxim from Lao Tzu. If you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you are anxious, you are living in the future. If you are at peace, you are living in the present. May we all be dragons now. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome to the show attorney Robert Maddox, who represents financial institutions and mortgage companies across the United States. In the past decade, he's handled more national and multi-state attorney general investigations and related consent judgments than any attorney in the United States. His work involves representing clients before the CFPB, DOJ, OCC, FRB, HUD, SEC, and multiple state regulatory agencies, including banking, finance, and insurance agencies. He's a teacher with the MBA and as a faculty fellow on real estate law and regulatory compliance at the School of Mortgage Banking, predatory lending and mortgage fraud at the Regulatory Compliance Institute, and servicing at the state and local litigation conference. He's also an adjunct professor at the Cumberland School of Law, where he teaches real estate transfer finance and development. Over the course of 2022, we've seen rates rise dramatically from a three handle up to yeah, you know, 30 year fixed rates are having hovering around 7% right now. What's the impact on home affordability?
1: It's actually fairly substantial uh, just looking year over year or even two years in the past where you can either look at and say that that was an artificial environment uh, given the setting of interest rates or we are in an artificial environment. Now, either way you look at it, there's this substantial change from the buyer's position uh, with regard to home affordability. The amount of increase in interest rates, you know, has pushed up monthly payments, you know, on a 30-year amortized mortgage, you know, hundreds of dollars in some areas. So it's definitely pushing uh, the market in that way. And we're also seeing the swing. Uh, where we're seeing greater investments in rental so I mean there's a push and a pull that's happening right there overall and even with programs that are out there to assist on down payment uh, to help make down payment assistance you know to work uh, on interest rate changes that are happening uh, we're seeing people do things you know that we really haven't seen you know there's there's always been interest rate locks Uh, But we're seeing more and more locks that are coming out uh, throughout that period. I think AEI does a monthly rate lock uh, data pool that you can look and see. The flip side of what it's doing as well uh, in looking with some of our home builder clients, what they're pulling back on uh, based upon their view of the market, uh, whether they have a lot of land and acquisitions sitting there ready to go. Um, what they think that their price points are going to be, you know, are they, you know, in that lower end range, you know, call it depending on where you are in America, you know, that 300 to $600,000 range now, or, you know, it, it it feels like the middle of their growth, if you will, 700 or 600 to a million, that, that market is slowly moving away. So you're still going to have those first time. Home buyers are going to be able to take advantage of FHA or, or other home buyer assistance. But it's kind of it may not be the starter home uh, that's getting pushed out, but it may be actually the second home. And uh, not second home by vacation, but second home as, as someone moves up. Uh, you know, traditionally we see a family grow. They move from, you know, a small two-bedroom house or condo into, you know, their first kind of starter home or their second home. So those may be prolonged uh even longer. And look, we're also seeing, you know, traditionally where we saw, you know, most people kept their homes seven, eight years and then moved on. That number has substantially increased over the last five or six years. Uh, and, you know, we think with interest rates, uh, where they are, where people have locked in, you know, in 18, 19, 20, they're less likely to move, right? Because the money, the money, uh, change in interest rate is substantially different. Uh, and so that's that's going to have an impact on how uh, people look at the market, both on the supply and the demand. So what I mentioned earlier about, about home builders, now, they're also either going to sit on the land that they have and not develop it, which therefore also increases the price uh, of land because you don't have a surplus of homes uh, moving out there. So you're seeing this interest rate have an impact on affordability, not only because the buyers are are changing their conduct and behavior, but also the home builders are changing their conduct and behavior as well, because those interest rates are impacting them as well. So instead of, you know, going off and building, you know, a hundred house development, you know, they instead are going to you know lob off half that and do a fifty. And so again, the surplus is is going to is going to raw is going to change there. Uh, and it all has to do with interest rates uh, and being impacted, and I not only out of the reality of economics, I think in the perception of the uh, American who's involved in you know the home building mortgage industry, uh, things of that nature, they're looking across the board at home affordability uh, and what it means right now because we still have historically you know very higher highs on the. Um, on, on the cost of the house and the price of the house those have obviously come down uh, in the last six to eight months but they're still relatively high uh, and then you've got this change in the interest rate which is impacting again both supply and demand so I, uh, overall I mean I, I think home affordability is going to be much more difficult um, but we'll see what next summer brings with regard to housing prices and that may that may, Give us some counter impact on these uh, high interest rates, which are impacting affordability.
0: Obviously, if rates go down, we will see an increase in refinance activity and home purchase activity. But if rates stay the same or even increase, can you can you kind of model that out for us? How how do you see the market responding? Is it as simple as home prices need to come down to to goose uh, you know purchase applications?
1: And I think that's that. That's the bit. I mean, to think about two things as far as you know, both we're we're not going to see, and banks are obviously I think going to be incentivized as well from this standpoint because they're not going to get the refis that they want, right? Because most of these people who have locked in in the past five years, you know, the interest rate that they can get right now is double, if not more. Uh, and so they're not going to get the refi. So you're looking at a bank. So the only way to kind of counterbalance that and, and we've started to see it, right? Some of the hot markets during the pandemic, the Boise, the San Francisco, uh, the other markets across the country, their their property values are starting to go down. So that'll make it you know in more attractive, but in the analysis of you know, the American home buyer, If my interest rates are going to stay at or near the level where they are, or based upon what the Fed has said, potentially increase even more, then in order for me to have the same buying power that I have right now, that home has got to go, has got to decrease. And, you know, with every cycle, there's an up and a down. And, you know, it's likely that 2023, uh, we're going to see property values be stagnant and or go down. In certain areas, but the problem is we don't have a historic surplus uh, that's sitting out there uh, with which to help drive those other prices down. So I I think we're going to see them stagnate or go down, especially as the Fed has signaled they're going to continue uh, their push on uh, interest rates hikes because they're more interested in. Fighting this stubborn inflation number, uh, and you know, rather than the concern about a potential recession, and you know, housing prices, you know, traditionally in recessions go down. Uh, just you know, maybe perception of the company, of the country. It may be, you know, that people due to the recession, companies are pulling back, people lose jobs, things of that nature, and you kind of start to spiral. Uh, but there's got to be a change with regard to pricing, because there doesn't appear to be a change coming uh, with regard to the cost of cash anytime soon.
0: The last time we saw home prices decline markedly was in the the financial crisis, 2006, 2008. And obviously now there's, you know, Dodd-Frank exists, the CFPB exists. But in general, what lessons do you think the mortgage industry has learned since uh, the Great Recession?
1: Well, um, a, a, a few things, certainly, it, it, both on housing prices and on, more importantly, on keeping borrowers in their homes. So a, as we approach this issue of uh, raising uh, interest rates, which we really haven't dealt with that much uh, in the past decade, um, now we have, you know, what, what's available to uh, these financial institutions? One, they're they're much more they're much better capitalized uh, than they were before the the living wills, the stress tests. Um, I would say the difference between compliance structure in financial institutions from the fourth quarter of 2022 to you know jumping back uh, even a decade or, or 15 years, it's radically different. Um, the level of compliance, uh, what what's going on, where the investments are happening. The flip side of that is, uh, you know, we can can jump back and uh, if you'll remember the old catchphrases, you know, banks are too big to fail. Those banks, as they existed in the forums 15 years ago, are now much bigger, much, much bigger than they were before. So if it was a policy position of, you know, we don't want our financial institutions to be so big that they can have an impact on the global economy, uh, then that is overall a massive fail. The flip side of it is from a compliance perspective, they are in uh, much better shape. Uh, some might argue uh, you know, that there's too much regulation and too much compliance that's choking out uh, the innovation side of it. Uh, and also, look, on the risk side, uh, we look back now where we were I mean, the same the same issues happened. Right. I mean, go back. Who was the uh, Super Bowl sponsor in 2006? It was AmeriQuest, right? <laughs> countrywide. And you don't hear those names anymore. Likewise, uh, now we look and see a lot of the non-QM lenders uh, who uh, were very successful, you know, beginning to rise in 17, 18, 19, and 20, uh, and then really made you know significant strides in 20 and 21. You know, they are either reporting significant losses, layoffs. Uh, rifts, uh, or they're out of business. Uh, and so that's, you know, that kind of cleansing of the market piece uh, with regard to non-QM space uh, is is what we saw, you know, last time in the 06 to 08 crisis, where we saw, you know, more broker channels or just straight loan originators uh, go out of business. And if they made poor loans, well, then the banks... Uh, you know, who acquired those loans either through uh, mergers and acquisition or through agreement of the government to take over failing institutions, Um, they picked up those mortgages and those mortgages were originated, you know, with not the same safeguards that we have in place uh, today. That doesn't mean that there aren't defaults. Uh, There obviously will be defaults, you know, because it's a marketplace risk. Uh, But at the same time, they're much much better underwritten than they were before. What we'll have to see is what happens to those vintages over, you know, 20 and 21 that were originated in the non-QM space. What do those portfolios look like and how how do they age with regard to default? The other thing, thinking about 06 to 08, uh, not so much on the origination side, but on the loss mitigation side. I mean, in that time period. You know, there were forbearances, there's, there were assistance when there were natural disasters, but it was, you know, very much, you know, either pay or, or you know, foreclosure. Deed and lose existed, but not to a great extent. I mean, now we have a complete um, set of servicing standards originally out of the National Mortgage Servicing Settlement in 2012, uh, then most of them codified by the CFPB. Uh, so we have a whole set of standards on on how to really deal with borrowers in stress uh, and borrowers in default. Now a lot of those standards also went to like regular periodic payment billing things like that, but most of it was dealing with loss mitigation uh, and a lot of it was built off of HAMP. So you have kind of this coordination uh, build out, you know, in in assisting and keeping people in their homes uh, because I think eventually, uh, through a lot of negotiation and a lot of education. We were finally able to convince the government that it was financially better for us to keep somebody in their home paying a lesser amount than to take a property through foreclosure, pay the fees, taxes, insurance, everything associated with it, and then have a property that, you know, originally, say, just hypothetically, you uh, the mortgage was for 500000 you know, and it had a UPB of 400000 and now the property's worth three hundred fifty thousand. Well, that's a loser all the way around. I'd rather keep the person in the house who wanted to be there to begin with, uh, and you know, either stretch the amortization or work on the work on the uh, on on the monthly payment to help them get you know their debt to income ratio down to that 31, 32 percent that we were looking at. But to back to our earlier point, the interest rates rising is something that we've not dealt with. Truly, since uh, Dodd-Frank came in and so where mortgage servicers, you know, after the loan has originated, have been able to utilize, you know, lower interest rates, usually to help assist the borrower. They're in actually the 180 degree exact opposite. They're not able to use the interest rates uh, to help bring down, you know, if it was originated at five and interest rates were three, you know, they could work with that to restructure, to modify that loan. So it, that's lessons learned. I mean, I think we're in a much better place. I think both um, both the regulators, the uh, mortgage industry, banking industry, and, and I think the public consumer uh, in America is much more educated about options and opportunities uh, to work through uh, any type of difficulty that they may have uh, across the uh, Dealing with the default because there's been a greater emphasis, not necessarily by the government, but actually by the institutions uh, to provide uh, what we would call a customer experience to be much better now than it was then uh, and be able to sit down and, and have outreach work through with the customer so that they have a better customer experience. Likewise, the, the beauty of technology has also allowed that the customer. The difference between 2022 and 2008 to be able to have a much larger voice uh in what they're doing so i think you know there's lessons to be learned uh throughout uh but overall in a a better picture
0: it doesn't seem like we're headed for a housing crash we uh, you know correction is probably a better term but if we see home prices decline or decline substantially What's that mean for the economy in general?
1: Usually Americans are somewhere between 62 and 68% own their home. And by own their home, I mean they have a mortgage or they may own their home outright. So more than anything else in America, we really have that in common with each other. And it has a huge impact uh, on our economy overall. Uh, So if you think about, You know, how the economy goes, usually home builders go in the same way, mortgage industry goes in the same way. The mortgage industry is much more susceptible uh, to the interest rate movements that we were discussing earlier, Uh, but a housing, obviously a housing crash uh, is significant because it has an overall impact on the American landscape like it did uh, in the great financial crisis last time. Because even though we were still in single digits with regard to overall foreclosures, if you're going back and looking at, at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, under 10%. But where we were traditionally was somewhere between one and a half and two, and even to go up to five to double, uh, had a large impact across the economy because anytime you know an American or an American family lose their home, there is a significant downstream impact on what happens to that family, right? They, depending on the available resources that they have, there's obviously uh, dislocation, relocation with regard to movement. Uh, There could be uh, loss of equity. There obviously is going to be impact to uh, credit, especially in the default scenario. Uh, and so it it, it has as, as much as it's you know the greatest wealth tool uh for the majority of americans it also can have the greatest impact on uh, their overall credit and their ability you know to get credit in the future if it's a long-term default uh so I, I think that's why you know when we think about what would a housing crash mean it would be significant to the american economy and we also know that our political class uh, is extremely uh, you know, sensitive uh, to when those large consumer swings begin to happen because, you know, we're in America and, and so it's a service economy now and the consumer has a great deal of power uh, with which to move and, and how to move. And, you know, we saw that through, you know, just recently through the pandemic with you know people moving, you know, 50 miles, you know, from where they originally were either into a a new home or a second home. And, you know, what that impact had on on markets across the country uh, in and of itself was uh, a wonderful kind of uh, economic experiment. Uh, So, you know, if if the mortgage or banking industry gets a cold, you know, the whole world gets sick. Uh, And I think we do have the safeguards in place. Uh, with regard to capitalization, uh, the the real issue is long term, I think it's not so much if if we have a crash in the economy is because housing, you know has gotten a black eye over the past decade to fifteen years, and banks are extremely sophisticated, both with their PR uh, and their risk tolerance is decreasing. You know, how long do they want to stay in? in the mortgage business. Because if we looked at who is heavily involved in originating loans, you still got big banks who are in it. But if we look at who is heavily involved with regard to servicing of those loans, that dynamic has changed significantly. Uh, And significantly because the risk tolerances of the banks have changed, the increase of kind of the uh, making banking a villain, Uh, for these consumer issues on mortgage. Uh, So there's a lot more sensitivity uh, in the mortgage uh, home building area, uh, homes across America, if you will. Uh, So that's why it's it's just such a significant part of our overall economy uh, that no one's hoping for a crash or even, you know, I think your point earlier, there's a correction coming, but what is the significance of that correction and what's the severity of it?
0: Well put. Uh, Robert, I want to thank you for making the time today. That was fantastic.
1: Yeah. Hey, listen, Robbie, I I appreciate it. Uh, look forward to uh, reading and listening. And uh, hey, listen, if there's anything I could ever help you do, please don't hesitate to ask.
0: Awesome. Ahead of today's full calendar of key new data, along with minutes from the latest FOMC meeting, we had a little rally in mortgage-backed security prices yesterday. This week was always likely to have many market participants absent or leaving early and thus be slow. Fewer folks at the trading desk can also increase volatility, you know, a thin market. The day before Thanksgiving is also traditionally the busiest travel day before the holiday. Despite many being away from their desks today, investors are anxious to find out more on the discussion at the last Fed meeting and how that figures into current market pricing in regard to the pace of future rate hikes. Today's economic calendar kicked off with mortgage applications from MBA. As the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage fell for the second week in a row to 6.67% and is now down almost 50 basis points from the recent peak of 7.16% one month ago, mortgage applications increased 2.2% from one week earlier. We've also received durable goods for October, up 1% better than expected, up 0.5% excluding transportation, and jobless claims in at 240000 up 18000 well, Continuing claims came in at $1.551 Later this morning brings the S&P Global PMI flashes for November, final November consumer sentiment, new home sales, and Freddie Mac's latest primary mortgage market survey. Oh, and don't forget those Fed Minutes. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse in eighth than the 10-year yielding 3.79 after closing yesterday at 3.76%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Did you hear about the accident yesterday? a truck loaded with VIX VapoRub overturned on the highway. Amazingly, there was no congestion for eight hours. <laughs> it's like a sponsored joke. Thanks again to Richie May, a recognized leader in providing specialized advisory, audit, tax, technology, and other services in the mortgage industry and in banking. To learn more, visit richymay.com.